0: I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. We're going to read several passages this morning. And <clears throat> I'm, I'm just going to jump into this. Verse 15. And Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. That's a hard thing for us. Because this is what we're always after. It's just that next little thing is going to make my life comfortable. This next little promotion, this investment is going to make my future a little bit more secure. And so even though Jesus is telling us this, sometimes it's very difficult for us to think that our life does not consist in the abundance of things. Um, It's good for us to admit that. And he spoke a parable to them and he said, a certain man, a rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits or to store them up. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll pull down the barns that I have and and there I will build bigger barns and greater barns and I'll store my goods there. And then I'll say to my soul, soul. You have much goods laid up for many years, so you can relax, in other words. You can eat, you can drink, take your ease, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. Then who shall these things or those things be which you have provided? Think about that. Think about how quickly our life would totally alter If Jesus Christ came down in the flesh, looked at you face to face and said, tonight you die. I require your soul tonight. Imagine how our plans would change. Imagine the things that we possess would not matter near so much to us. And yet none of us have the hope of tomorrow. Today is the day that God has given us. This moment right now is the moment that God has given us. I don't want to be a fool. I don't believe you want to be a fool. And I don't want to to think that in the accumulation of things that that makes my life secure. And so Jesus said in verse 21, so is he that lays up treasure for himself. This is so important and is not rich toward God. What does that mean? Not rich toward God. I, I, would, I would, for me, really want to understand what the word rich there means. I, w- I want to be rich toward God, wouldn't you? We know this life is temporal. We don't feel like it, but we know the life is temporal. We know the next life is eternal and we're immortal. We're passing through these lives. The word rich there means to be wealthy. To be wealthy towards God. To be increased with goods. To have an abundance of outward possession. That's an important note. Outward possession. Because a lot of times we may think we'll be enriched towards God is some type of spiritual wealth. Some type of rest. Some type of peace. Some type of grace. But actually the definition is, is it's an outward possession. It's external. And you've got a wealth there. To be richly supplied. To be affluent in resources so that he can give blessings of salvation to all that he will. So that's what the word rich means. And so Jesus is using this parable to speak to to all of us to be able to say what's more important than our accumulation of goods is that we're rich towards God. I pray that will soak into us just a little bit being rich towards God. He goes on and he says to his disciples, this famous passage that Matthew also builds upon. And so Jesus says, listen, I don't want you to take any thought for your life. Verse 22. Look, if you don't have a heavenly father, you you can just skip this because there's no way you have the fortitude to do it. You live like an orphan. You're, You're like you're out there on your own Every day is up to you. What you eat is up to you. How you dress is up to you. Everything, if, if you don't have a heavenly father. But if you have a heavenly father, you, you can certainly rest in this. You, you see that in families and children. My, my kids, while they were being brought up and they had me as a father and they were my dependents, they rested. They, they weren't worried so much of whether they were gonna have something to eat. Maybe they were worried about what they were gonna eat, but worried about if they were gonna have something to eat or where or what to do. They they knew they they knew that Carla and I were going to provide for them. They rest your kids do the same thing. You understand that concept. But the fact of the matter that you cannot do that today. It, it reveals a relationship that's detached from your heavenly father. Because I would admit that what Jesus is telling people to do right here is challenging. And without God, it's impossible. How to live this way. But there's a possibility. It's a grace that he's given us to do. So don't think about your life, what you'll eat. Your body, what you'll wear. Your life is more than meat. Your body is more than clothing. Just look at the ravens. They don't sow or reap, but your father feeds them. You're better than them. And then he says in verse 25 which of you can, by taking any kind of thought, worry, stress, can add to your stature one cubit? You can't do it. And if you're not able to do something like that, which is least, then why do you think for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They don't toil, they don't spin. But I say that Solomon, dressed in his glory, was not dressed like these. And if God clothed the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow it's gone, that's how quick it passes away, then how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not what you shall eat or drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. They have to. They don't have this kind of relationship with the heavenly father and your father knows that you have need of these, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. Fear not little flock. This is wonderful. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So sell what you have. Give your alms. Provide yourselves bags that wax not old. Listen to this. Listen to this. A treasure in heaven. Well, that's an interesting word. A treasure in heaven. Is it possible? Is it possible that there can be a treasure in heaven? So if it's possible that I can have a treasure in heaven, what is that? What does he mean? And the word treasure there in this point means a deposit of wealth. It is a place, heaven, where you store up external wealth where you store up things that are precious and they are collected and they are laid up for you to be used by you one day. That's treasure in heaven. Is that possible? It's a treasure in heaven that doesn't fail. It doesn't run out where no thief approaches it. Moth does not corrupt it for where your treasure is. That's where your heart will be. So let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And you yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord. When he will return from the wedding. That when he comes and knocks they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord when he comes will find watching. Verily I say to you that he shall gird himself. And make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve this is about the treasure in heaven. He's, he's, he's explaining that, they, and come forth and he will serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or the third watch and find them, so blessed are those servants, and this know that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would have come, he would have watched and have not suffered his house to be broken through. be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man comes at an hour when you think not. Peter said to him, Lord, speakest thou this parable to us or to everyone? And the Lord said, who then is faithful? This is what it means. Listen to this. Who is faithful? Who's a wise steward? Whom his Lord, listen, his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Could this possibly have a relationship of the treasure you're laying up in heaven? Could this possibly be part of the application of what Jesus is referring to when when you get to sit down in heaven with Jesus Christ and you're actually served by this kingdom and imagine the overflowing delight? Could it be possible that Jesus is trying to tell us, don't be fools, You're not like the nations of the world. You have a heavenly father. Seek his kingdom. Don't worry about these temporal things. My father knows that you need it. He's going to take care of that for you. Can you let go and really embrace God in his kingdom? Can you really do that? Because if you can, if you live knowing that I'm coming soon, I'm coming maybe at a time you don't even expect it and you have been found faithful, then I am going to make you a ruler over my goods. like you're going to have access to wealth. You're going to have access to external treasures that I'm going to let you rule over my house. Imagine that. Think about eternity. Stop dwelling in the confines of the temporal and think about that concept of Jesus Christ coming back and we live forever with him. And I want you to know this. I really want you to have this in your life. Back in Matthew chapter 6. And Matthew goes into some of these very points that Luke just talked about. But there's a portion here in Matthew 6 that I want to read in verse uh, um, 19. And again, Jesus says this. The way Matthew records it, it says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. That's the deposit of your wealth. The place where you store your goods. Don't let it be on the earth. Where moth and rust corrupts it, where thieves break through and steal. Now listen to what he says in verse 20. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Is that possible? What does that look like? What does that even mean? Is it possible? Listen. Is it possible? That you good Christians who love Jesus and are going to go to heaven when you die or in the rapture of the church and you're going to be with God forever. Is it possible that you could go to heaven and have no wealth? And if that is a possibility, are you willing to take that risk? I'm not talking about the loss of salvation. I'm not talking about you dying and finding yourself in hell and not heaven. No, you're solidly in heaven. Your feet are on streets of gold. You are a child of God. You're entering into his kingdom because you did well in believing on Jesus Christ. Because this is the work of God that you believe in Jesus Christ. You did well and you enter into the kingdom of God. But you have no treasure. You did not lay anything up in heaven. What will your eternity look like? What will your position in the kingdom of Christ look like? And if I, as your pastor, can give you biblical instruction and exhort you and, and, and just try to stir you and say, Beloved, wake up. Wake up to the reality of eternity. Wake up to the reality of the kingdom of heaven. Wake up to that reality and live this life sure-footedly that you are laying treasures up in heaven even now. Because I guarantee you, Jesus isn't lying. He's not telling some make-believe story. Jesus is not trying to just try to make heaven attractive. It has streets of gold. He's, he doesn't have to pretend that, 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 that there can be wealth there. But he's telling us very pointedly, you want to make sure that you lay up treasure in heaven. You want to make sure That you are rich toward God. Because if you don't make sure of this. You are a fool. If the kingdom of heaven is not first priority for you. And the seeking of that kingdom's righteousness. If that's not first priority. And it's not like the check off list. Okay great I did that. Got right with the kingdom of God. Got right with the king. Going to heaven when I die. Check. No this is an ongoing life of faith with God. Jesus says, then you're being foolish. You really are. You're laying up things for yourself. You spend more time for this earth. You spend more time worrying and stressed and fretting about what you have, what you don't have, what you need, what you want, what you hope you get, what you're planning for. If you think you can afford it, what kind of debt can you go into to get it? You spend more time worrying about that than you do about my wealth towards God, my treasures Laid up in heaven. And I want to. I pray through the Holy Spirit. Help you with that today. And so Jesus says in verse 20. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust doeth corrupt. And where thieves do not break through. Nor steal. For where your treasure is. There will your heart be also. So you can kind of know. You can kind of know where your treasure is. It's where your heart is. It's what you live for. It's your passion in life. Church is not necessarily people's passion. God is not necessarily people's passion. We can sit three and a half hours, four hours and watch a Super Bowl game, but we can't pray like that. So it's not necessarily, God's not necessarily our, there there are very real signs and landmarks that help us examine our hearts. And I want my heart to be in heaven. I want to long to be with my king. I want to long to demonstrate his kingdom in this earth in in every way that I possibly can. So Jesus goes on and talks about the light of the bodies, the eye. If the light that's in you is dark, how great is the darkness? It just simply means we can deceive ourselves. We we can think we're one thing when we can't. And so he concludes that, this whole light of the body, people thinking that they're doing really well with their uh, money management and their life management and their time management. And I'm doing great with the kingdom of God. And I'm doing great with the kingdom of men. And Jesus said, well, I'll just say this, you know, if if the light's in you that's dark, is dark, then how great is that darkness? Because it's just really hard to convince you of anything else otherwise. So Jesus just kind of concludes with this. You can't serve two masters. You can't. You will love one, you will hate the other, you will hold to one, you will despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. Those are the two, one of the two masters, God or mammon. And so he comes into what we just read in Luke about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and how God our father will um, add all of this to us. Uh, Felix preached an incredible message about the father, God being our father in the kingdom of God last week. I, and that's not this message. I encourage you to listen to that. It was tremendous. I want to talk to you about laying up treasure in heaven. I want to talk to you about being rich toward God. And very simply, Jesus has revealed so much of that to us. Seeking the kingdom of God. Seeking the righteousness of this kingdom. Having our hearts in heaven. Doing things that specifically result in our wealth being laid up in heaven. I want to look at Hebrews chapter 11. This is a man who didn't have near the information that we have, and he had access to all of the wealth that a man could ever hope for, but he rejected it. He rejected everything that the world literally had to offer him considering that the most, listen, the most least attractive, if there could be, and there's not, considering the most least attractive thing about Jesus to be of greater value. And that's just simply the way men hate Jesus. He said, I love that, the reproach of Christ. That is more valuable to me than the wealth of Egypt. And it says this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26, he esteemed the reproach of Christ, greater riches... Than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect. Unto the recompense of the reward. He believed. In what was coming. And because he believed in what was coming. He considered and concluded. That Jesus' reproach is more valuable than Egypt's wealth. Because of the reward that's coming. He lived for that. He believed that. He longed for that. And so I want to go to Mark chapter 10. I want you to read this with me. This is a promise that Jesus makes. And it's a beautiful promise in chapter 10. And if you will, verse 29, we'll start there. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that has left house, our brothers, our sisters, our father, our mother, our wife, our children, our lands. For my sake and the gospels. Imagine that. Imagine how many times your family stood in your way and the will of God. Imagine how many times family decisions stood in your way and the will of God. And so Jesus is talking very plainly about coming to Jesus Christ. Coming into the kingdom of God. Being a believer, being a follower of Jesus Christ, whether my family likes that or not. All of my family may absolutely reject me for becoming a Christian. But if that's what it takes, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is talking about leaving for this. He's not saying, hey, you know, you want to go to China and your wife doesn't want to go to China. Leave your wife behind and go to China. That's not what he's talking about. All right. You need to get some home ministry going before you try to go help somebody else. But it says this about about leaving for, for the gospel's sake and for Jesus' sake. Because there is this going. There is this leaving of things that, you know, I, I remember when I was coming into ministry, God was calling me. This was 38 years ago, almost 40 years ago now, when he actually called me into ministry. And th- there were people in my family that literally just told me that I was an absolute fool and I was insane. You're going to be one of the first people. I was the second, I was the second descendant or person in my family um, ever who graduated from college. And when I was in my last year, going into my last year at LSU, my senior year, going into that year, my wife and I had just gotten married in June. We started the church in September and I surrendered to full-time ministry and my family, people in my family, even a grandmother, told me, you are insane. You're going to live a life of poverty. You're not going to have anything. This is the stupidest decision I think you could ever make in your life. And, I frankly do not approve and I, I really don't even want to see you. And it was coming to a point where as much as I love my grandmother and she loved me, she really did. She really loved me. Eventually she got saved. Praise God. I was able to lead her to Jesus years later. But she, she spoke that because she loved me. She cared for me. She didn't understand. But I had to part ways in so many aspects with the will and the desires of my grandmother to pursue the will of God for my life. That was a hard thing to do, hard thing to do. And I remember Carla and I, we were dating and we were, I I believe we were supposed to be married and, and she was a Baptist girl and the Holy Spirit said, you can't marry somebody that's not baptized in the Holy Ghost. And I said, but she's saved. Yeah, but she's not baptized in the Holy Ghost. You don't know the plans I have for your life. And so she has to come on board with you. You have to share. So I shared the baptism in the Holy Spirit with her. She received that night, speaking in tongues, having the revelation. Praise God. I couldn't have a church like this if my wife was absolutely against the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit or or she's out at some other church because she doesn't believe in the move of God like this. How could I stand with authority or ability to preach to you and minister to you? And so it's understanding these things that I want to be wealthy towards God. I want to walk with God. And I don't want situational things to come in place of that. I don't want personal goals and desires to come in the place of that. Whether it's a marriage, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a family thing. I've made my obligation to Jesus Christ. And he's the one that I followed. The day I got born again, I became a new creation. All past commitments were over. I was only five at the time. All past commitments were over. And now all of my allegiance was to Jesus Christ. And so I have no covenant with any man but Jesus Christ. That He is the one that we follow and that we desire. Listen to what he goes on and says. If we do this for his sake and the gospels in verse 30, he shall receive. Now you either believe this or you don't. He shall receive a hundredfold now in this life. If you will forsake everything to follow me and my gospel, I will guarantee you right now in this life, you'll get a hundredfold. Well, you either believe that or you don't. In this time, houses, brothers, sisters, Mothers, children, lands, persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And so here's Jesus again promising, he's promising us, if, if you make a commitment to walk with me, and you forsake, if it gets in the way, And you continue to walk with me in spite of things that are falling out because you choose to walk with me. I will make sure now in this time, this life, you get a hundredfold. You get houses and brothers and mothers and sisters. Not only am I promising you something right now in this life, but I'm also promising you in the life to come, in the world to come. There's also a reward or a recompense. And how many of us believe that? How many of us take the Lord seriously when Jesus is telling us, listen, you're not living here forever. You're, you're going to leave this planet one way or another. And you are going to step into an eternal kingdom. And I gave you however many years I gave you. 10, 20, 50, 60, 80, 90. I gave you all of this span of time to lay treasure up with me in heaven. I told you about it. I told you to do it. I warned you about it. I said to take heed about it. And now you're stepping into this eternal kingdom. Are you going to have treasure there? It's obviously not automatic because Jesus said, you have to lay it up. You have to store it there. So it's obviously not an automatic thing that happens to every believer. So some people say, well, wait a minute, time out. I'm under the understanding and the impression from the scriptures that when we die and we go into heaven, that we just have this, we have this, it's paradise. We have everything that we need. We have joy. We have pleasure. We have happiness. We have life. Everything is wonderful. Everything is grand. Everything is glorious. And it absolutely is for you. But don't forget what Jesus said. When he said that those who believe that he's coming and they are faithful. In other words, in that context of laying up treasure and being rich towards God and laying up treasure in heaven. I will make you ruler of my household. And the Bible tells us that Jesus has made us kings and priests unto God. And we shall reign with him. So what if I were to tell you that perhaps it would look something like this? That when you die as a believer, you are going to enter into the kingdom of God. You are going to be right with God. You're going to be a son, a daughter of God. You're going to enter into the pleasures of the Lord. You're going to enter into delight. You're going to enter into all of the glories of his kingdom. You're going to have all of that. But perhaps your role and your rule in the kingdom of God is going to be very limited. It doesn't take away necessarily of your personal possessions of things and happiness and joy. But those and, and, and the context of what this is telling us is those who lay up treasures in heaven are going to be able to dispense the wealth that they have accumulated to the nations that are in the world during the millennial and the eternal kingdom reign of Jesus Christ. Out of the abundance of the wealth that you've laid up in heaven you are going to be able to go into the kingdoms of the world that will exist on the earth while Jesus is ruling and reigning and you will go forth in the name of that kingdom and you will enrich the nations. You will enrich the people out of the abundance of your treasure. And though I will be able, if I had no treasure, such as it were, and I were able to go into heaven, I'm going to be well taken care of. But how joyfully delightful will it be if I can go forth into the nations in behalf of my king and be able to dispense to them the treasures of salvation, the treasures of God to the nations of the world. It, it would be something like this if somebody was very, very wealthy and, 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 and suddenly they were just struck in their heart that, you know what, I want to, uh, Pastor Lee, I just want to bless you with... Hundreds of millions of dollars. And, 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 and so be, because of what you've done, because of how you've lived, because of how you care for people, I want to bless you with hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, um, imagine my joy. Imagine the joy I would have if I was to be able to personally come up into your life and tell me, what's your mortgage? I'm going to pay it off. What's your car notes? Because I, I, would, I would love to do that for you. I would love to pay your medical bills off. I would love to pay your student loans off. And this isn't a communist type of system where we're paying student bills off. It's just because I have been blessed with wealth. Because of what I've been doing and somebody has noticed it and they've given me access to all of this wealth because they trust me. And you know what I want to do? I want to bless you with it. And 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 perhaps that's what it's going to look like a little bit in eternity when I'm able to go forth into the nations as a ruler with Jesus Christ. And in the name of salvation and in the name of my God, bless those communities, bless those kingdoms, bless those people in Jesus name. I want to be able to do that. It's more blessed to give than to receive. I want to be able to do that. And it's kind of like, you know, when we're raising our kids and the the kids in my house are, you know, just doing really well. And I love them and they're my children. They have access to everything that I've got. Everything that I have is, is, is theirs. Everything that I've got, they have access to. But when... If any, and I trust every one of my children, but if one of my children proves to have this capacity of real trustworthiness with responsibility, perhaps I will lean harder on them to take care of family matters, to take care of my estate. And to to be able to put personal wealth into them to be able to distribute to their brothers, their sisters, their families. Because there has been this trustworthiness of faithfulness that I've witnessed. And if there's another child that's not very faithful with things and not very responsible with things. They still have access to everything that I have. They just might not have this wealth to use as they will. So perhaps it looks something like that. I'm not quite sure. I just know this. I believe Jesus. I believe him. And I believe that when Jesus says that you can lay up treasure in heaven. I really want to do that. And when Jesus says that you can be rich towards God. I really want to be because I do not perceive what that exactly means. But I do believe Jesus Christ. And I don't want to go to heaven without these things. I believe it is so important for us to be engaged in the things that God has set for us. I believe it's so important for us to be personally engaged in it, prayerfully engaged in it, personally participating in the things that God has laid out for us. I said this to the nine o'clock service, and I say it to you. God has, by his own pleasure placed you in the body where he wants you to be. You're here today, not out of necessarily, there can be rebellion in it, but you're not here necessarily out of your own choice. You're here because 1 Corinthians 12 says that the Holy Spirit puts us in the body where it pleases him. So it's, it's not like, you know, just everything about my church is just so wonderful. I hope it is for you, but it's not like everything's so wonderful, but this is where the Lord is pleased to put me. Now, he doesn't put you there. So you have a place to go on Sundays to hear preaching. That's not why he, that's not why you say first new Testament church is my church, which means that's where I go to hear preaching. And if I die, that's the people that are going to bury me. And if we marry, those are the people that are going to marry me, And, and that's kind of what church means and what church looks like. And I'm I'm about to have some teenagers, and I want the church to fix them. And I'm about and so this is the connotation of church or whatever it might be. But church in the mind of God is a living body. And every part of the church has a specific calling and a specific purpose that is in the heart of God. It's not in the heart of the pastor. It's in the heart of God. And hopefully the pastor can hear that heart. And hopefully there are intercessors within the church that are able to affirm that that is the heart of God. That we feel that as well. And this is what God wants us to do. And no two churches really look the same. And no two churches should try to be duplicates of one another. When Jesus looked at the churches in Revelation, he looked at seven churches. Every one of them were different. He never compared them with each other. Out of the seven churches, five of them were were rebuked. Two of them were celebrated. And he never said to the five that were rebuked, you need to go to these other two and find out what they're doing because they're doing it right. Right? He spoke to those that were wrong, and he told them what they were doing wrong, and he told them what they need to do to get it right. And so we have to understand that when I am brought in by the Holy Spirit of God into a fellowship and into a body, it is because God is allowing me to be a part of an eternal organism that began with Jesus Christ and was birthed through that that first group of apostles and the people when they walked out of the upper room, a living organism called the church of Jesus Christ walked out of that upper room and began to turn the world upside down. They would refuse to let anything stand in the way of the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the demonstration of the kingdom of God. They sold everything they had. They went about doing everything that they could. They were serving God. They were doing everything. Not not that all of that was, was just exactly what God would prescribe for everybody to do always. It's what they did. And they turn the world upside down. They were a part of this. I'm a hand in the body. I'm a foot in the body. I'm an ear in the body. I'm a mouth in the body. I'm a toe in the body. I'm a knee in the body. The body needs me. The Holy Spirit has put me there to fulfill not the pastor's desires, but the call of God on that church. Therefore, I am necessary. What I do is necessary. I'm not there to find a seat to listen to preaching. I am there to contribute what God is expecting of me. So that first New Testament church at the end of its calling will be able to have accomplished everything God wanted it to accomplish. And for me, I do not want God to look at Lee Ship and say i was not able to do it all because of you i i want to be able to give god everything i possibly can my time my prayers my sacrifice my money Whatever it may be. And so, so we all contribute. Some people, for example, may make a lot of money. Some people may make a very little bit of money. And we kind of gauge that. Well, they have so much more to give than me. And I don't really have much to give. And some people just can really bless the church. And if I was to give this, you know, some, somebody might come and say, Pastor, we've got a $100,000 offer and we want to give you. And whole church applauds. Oh, that's, man, that's incredible. Who was it? Who was it? Well, it's none of our business, you know. And just, you know. And then somebody comes along and says, well, man, I've been saving all year and I got $15 to give. And we should applaud that. That that could be a greater gift in the mind of God than than somebody who gave $100,000. God judges that and God gauges that. It's just the fact that I am contributing to the body he's called me to. I want it to be successful. I want to fulfill my part in the body. I want to be part of it. I want to help it walk. I want to help it survive. I want to help it thrive. You know, when God brought Israel out of Egypt, he told them to go and collect precious things from the land of Egypt. He told them to collect jewelry and gold and precious metal vessels so that when they came into their wilderness journey and they, they would be able to develop the tabernacle and they would be able to do the things of God. God required what they gathered in order to build the tabernacle. And the people willingly gave. And the question might be asked, or we could easily say, well, certainly God could have just produced it. I mean, God made gold to begin with. So why does God need my gold? Maybe Israel could have said that. I've I've been a slave, and my family's been a slave, and these are reparations and everything else. And four hundred years we've been there, and now we we get some wealth out of all the labor we put into the land of Egypt. And God wants it. If God wants a golden vessel for His altar, He can create it. But they didn't have that attitude. They gladly gave. And they gladly gave because they understood that they were participating. Israel's prosperity was given to them by God. So that they could manifest the will of heaven and the heart of God on earth. And that was what they were a part of and called to do. I want you to understand. And you know being the first of the year and we're coming into this time of year. These are just some of those pastoral type messages that that I believe are necessary about our, our life, our giving, our participation, our understanding of the body of Christ. I don't suppose that any of you think that Sunday mornings just happen. I don't know. How many of you would understand all that goes into a Sunday morning service? The work, the service, the sacrifice, the early, early hours, the late, late nights on any given Sunday. The things that have to be monitored and measured and taken care of. Every class, every group, every nursery, making sure it's safe and it's secure and it's provided for. I hope you don't think Wednesday night dinners just happen. You get off of work and you drive to church on Wednesday nights and open the door at 630 and there's two tables of food. Wow, it's wonderful. And we just get to eat. And I'm, I'm grateful right now as a church we can help provide most of that cost. But we should all want to contribute. We've, we've got people that will come up on Mondays and begin to cook for Wednesdays. They, they have to cook for 250, 300 people on a Wednesday night. And the church covers the bill every week. That's a lot. Would we like to keep that going? Absolutely. But it takes all of our participation. It takes all of our contribution. It takes people willing to come up here on Mondays and slicing onions and bell peppers and cooking and prepping and everything else in order to have a nice dinner on Wednesday. We're going to probably have our best dinner this coming Wednesday. Um, funeral preparations, wedding plans, the ability to provide for your family, a healthy church and an environment of God. That doesn't just happen. It has to be Intentional. You can lose the movement of God in a moment by becoming more occupied with the temporal than we are with the eternal. It takes work to provide for the things of God, to provide for a local church. It takes work. I could not express the incredible weight of responsibilities that are upon our staff. This is not a large church, but it does A large thing for God's kingdom. It demands. Of all of us. The cares of the people. The missions. The outreaches. The counseling. The nurturing. The consoling. The caring. The visiting. The planning. The church thriving does not just happen. It takes a lot of effort. A lot of praying. A lot of interceding. A lot of repenting. The need for people, the need, because it's just scratching the surface of all that God wants to do in the world and in the community. I'm not embarrassed to ask you to tithe and give to First New Testament Church. Not at all. Because I personally do not believe there is anything, any place that you can give that is more worthwhile and important than here. And if I believed that, I would change what we do in order to make this the best place you can give. I thank God for what we're involved in and what God has asked us to do. I just don't believe that we're lagging in contributing to the kingdom of God. I, 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 I did this last year. I've had many requests to do this list this year, so I will. So just imagine when you come to church what you don't bring. Just imagine what you assume is already there. And you're going to have dinner on the grounds today. Nobody brought your own cup. You didn't bring your napkins. You didn't bring your plates. You didn't bring your own roll of toilet paper. Praise the Lord. (laughs) You might draw some Kleenex. But it's provided for you, coffee, electricity. Are you grateful for this? It doesn't just happen. It's not like energy says, y'all are a church. It's on us. <laughs> no problem. The building, which I'm very thankful for, the utilities, the cleaning, the plumbing, the insurance, the musical equipments, the tech equipment, the live streaming. The yard work, air condition, heating systems, resources for our guests and our members, yard maintenance, security, tables and chairs, laundry, because things have to be cleaned, cleaners and disinfectants, materials for ministries, the church serving our family when they have had a loss in their life through funerals, through caring, through meals, weddings, various community meetings, celebrations. We need more parking. We need a new sound system. We need to enlarge our lobby. This coffee thing at 10 o'clock is wonderful. But many of you say we need a bigger lobby. We need to enlarge our sanctuary. We need to enlarge our office and building space and school rooms. We would love to have a future site for our church that's more visible to the town. We need God. We need God to provide, but that provision comes through you. And so what are we doing with all of that? Well, some, some of it's self-explanatory, especially if you go to the restroom. But we have ESL classes. We have university outreaches. We serve in international dinners and outreaches serve with the right to life. We just helped and celebrated a wonderful week that Noah had through missions. We support many missions around the world. We support and help Christy with the hill and her ministry, discipleship groups, singles ministries, young adult ministries, young married couples ministries, women's prayer groups, fellowships of all sort, fireplace children's ministry, Sunday school classes, community outreaches, Prison ministries, Spanish ministries, single moms ministries, single ladies ministries, men's ministries, retreats, greet teams, nursery provisions and nursery workers, Arise Conference and Encourage Conferences, F&T Academy, Worship Nights. local ministry outreaches, social media, live stream services, helping the poor, marriage counseling, benevolence within the church, political and legislative work that we do both state and national, music ministry, helps ministry, grief ministry, sick and shut-ins, hospital ministry, funeral weddings, struggling marriages, feeding families, disaster relief, tech teams, food pantry, single men's ministry, youth evangelism, child evangelism fellowship are just a few things we do every week. God has laid on our heart to be able to do ministry abroad. We personally minister to over 275 pastors and churches throughout the United States. Every month we host a local minister's fellowship, just trying to bridge relationships and friendships to let them know that they're loved and we appreciate them. We're involved in fighting the sex trafficking all over the world. We have an incredible ministry in Moldova, where well, there's a huge sex trafficking industry there as well as in Mexico. We support orphanages in Alabama, Louisiana, Moldova, Africa, Ireland, Central America. We're involved constantly in the in Spain, Dominican Republic, Peru, Morocco, portions of the 1040 window. Egypt, Turkey, Africa, Scotland, Ireland, Northern Ireland, Thailand, Pakistan, Hungary, Germany, Belgium, Jewish communities, Indian reservations. We pioneer new churches in unreached countries. We support, counsel hundreds of churches in the United States every year. We serve India, Chile, Colombia, conferences, fellowships and retreats, mail outs, the Korean refugee situation in the United States, Israel, the Family Research Council, Honduras, National Pastors Retreats, A Call to the Heart, World Challenge Ministry. This is what we're involved in. This is what we're doing. You, we could not do this without you. You make all of this possible. Some of you give more money to ministries and churches you don't even know. But to the house God has called you to, you may give very little to what God has called us to do. And, and the places we may send our money, the ministries we may send our money to, I guarantee you, when your husband dies, your wife dies, they're not going to be at your bedside. They don't even know who you are. And I'm not saying that there isn't almsgiving to those situations, but I tell you, as we run this last leg of the race, we really should and must do all that we can. I'd like to close with two more scriptures. It's just 12 o'clock. So I technically have another hour, but I'm not going to take it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, some of you may say, well, you know what, Lee, I don't believe that tithing is... um, I I think that is the Levitical law. I do not believe that is the issue of grace. Um, I do not believe we're bound to that and so forth. And we're freed from tithing and almsgiving. I bet Abraham wished somebody would have told him. He lived four hundred years before the law, and tithed, and 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 if we if we are quote if that is a legalistic thing within the church tithes and offering if that is legalistic and it's all about grace then okay I say well then what about grace? Do you not know that grace requires more? Would would we agree that? adultery th- being forbidden is the law? Would we agree that that murder is against the law? It's a law thing. W- would we agree that being disobedient to our parents is a law thing? And so even we would agree with that. We would agree that that is the breaking of the law, but we would still say we're not under the law. We're under grace. That's right. So what does grace do? Grace requires more. Because grace comes along and says, listen, you've heard it said that you should not commit murder, but I say to you, if you hate in your heart, then you committed murder in your heart. And you've heard it said that you should not commit adultery, but I say to you. That if you lust in your heart after someone, you've committed adultery in your heart. Grace requires more. So if, if you're of that mindset where you position yourself to somehow excuse yourself from tithes and offerings because of grace, you're actually pronouncing on yourself the privilege of doing so much more than the 10%. But a lot of times people use that as a way out. So let's take it out of the law. Let's even take tithes away. All right. Let's just take that all out of the way. And look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And I want to I I ask you something in this. In verse 6, this I say, he which sows sparingly shall reap sparingly. He which sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. Every man, as he's purposed in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he is dispersed abroad, he is given to the poor, his righteousness remains forever. Now, he that ministers seed to the sower, both ministers bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. And it just goes on to talk about how, even in verse 14, that they pray for you and they long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. And how did they know the exceeding grace of God in them? Because they gave monetarily. They helped them out. That's how they knew. But here's what I want to go to. If you look at this. And he says in in, in verse 6, If you sow sparingly, you shall reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you shall reap also bountifully. And so I would suppose that A lot of you understand investments. Maybe some of you wish you could invest. Maybe some of you do invest. Is that a law? No. You don't have to invest. You don't have to put your money in a dividend or a stock or an IRA. You don't have to do any of that. But you do it because there is... Some type of understanding that this is going to grow my money. It's going to increase my money. If there was some investment firm that told you, I guarantee you a 10% return. I gu- <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. I guarantee you, you would be putting your money in it, Right? Now, tax is the law. We all try to get out of that. But investment, you give your money with some type of understanding that we're going to be a good steward and we're going to reinvest your money and we're going to give you maybe 2%, 3%, 5% back on your money. But if somebody came along and said, 10%, I would assume that we would all be in on that. No risk at all. And here is God. God himself telling you, God. I guarantee you that when you give to me, I will give back to you. If you give bountifully to me, I will give bountifully back to you. It's a guarantee. He he has no exceptions in it. If you give sparingly to me, I will sparingly give back to you. In other words, God is saying this. With the measure that you give to me, that will be the measure I use to give back to you. And God himself, God, is actually telling us, I guarantee it. But you know why we don't do it? We don't believe him. We don't believe him. We prefer to put our money in risky systems. Even when some of the leading economists are telling us it's not looking good for the future. And many of you over the last three years lost a bunch of money in investment. You know I'm right. And here's God telling you there's coming a day when the gold and silver is not going to save you. But if you will be in a relationship with me through grace and you will give with a joyful heart and a glad heart, I guarantee you, I'll take care of you. I guarantee it. And only those who know God are going to step into that relationship and say, I've got nothing but you. This is incredible, God. And so I want to walk in this relationship of grace with you, God, because you are giving me. It's it's not God's inability or even his unwillingness to give to us. It is our lack of faith to receive it. The lack of faith is seen in our hesitancy and our joyless heart in giving. But God says, I love a cheerful giver. So I I just simply say, when you give your tithes and offerings, and now everything's become electronic, when you do it, you should be joyful. You, you put smiley faces on your offerings to God. You know, I'm really happy, God. This is one, because I want to draw attention to God that I, I'm so, thank you, God, you're giving me this. Forget the tithe. Forget the Levitical says, Forget all of these arguments of why this, why I should, why I shouldn't, what if they want And just simply really say, hey, God said he will bless me if I give with a joyful heart. And according to the measure that I give, he's going to give back. I believe God. I want to give. I want to do it. I want to be in this relationship with God. I want to see the kingdom of God and the purposes of God. God has given me, if you will, the the wealth of Egypt in order to build a tabernacle. I want to demonstrate my prosperity by manifesting the will of God in his heart and earth. And this is what I want to do. My last scripture is Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And he says this in verse 5. He says, let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do to me. And that's my contentment. That, that whatever situation I am in in my life. That I'm able to say, the Lord is my helper. My life does not consist in the possessions that I have. My life consists in this truth that God is my king. And the king is my father. And he takes care of me. And he has given me the incredible privilege to participate in his work in the earth. Number one, he created me. He made me a living being. He loves me. Number two, he saved me. And he redeemed me from destruction in the pit. Number three, he wanted me to be a part of his church. And I get to serve him. And God has enriched my life that I would be able to say that God is my contentment. Be content with such things as you have. What do you have? I have God. I have God. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. Riches might, things might, they'll come and they'll go, but God will always be there for me. God will always take care of me. Beloved, I extend to you one of the greatest invitations and demonstrations of faith that you could ever have in your Christian life, in your Christian walk. It will be an absolute transformation from the dull and the mundane, and the boring, into a life of an incredible adventure, full of excitement, full of wonder. I pray you young people will understand not the value of one day being able to give to God, but the importance right now in your life to give to God. I started giving to God when I was a preteen. I gave to my church. I would get birthday gifts and if I got money in my birthday gifts, I would take 10% and I would give that to the church and I would take a little bit out of that and I would give it to missions. I had a heart for this. I believed in this. I loved God with all of my heart. I wanted to serve him. I was terrified about what I would do in life. I always admired everybody else. Everybody else was smart. Everybody else was talented. Everybody else was brilliant and they're going to go far in life. And I'm like... I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I can do. And then one day, God called me. Of all people, he called me. I have no talents. I'm not a showman. I'm, I'm not skilled at speaking in front of people. I'm not smart. I don't have advantage. I don't have any of these things. But God spoke to me and he called me. My dad's a pipe fitter. None of my grandparents were ministers. I I know nothing about pastoring a church. I know nothing about starting a church. I know nothing about leading Christian people in their faith with God. I know nothing about that. But 38 years ago, God asked a 21-year-old boy to do that. Still had his education at LSU to finish. I was making plans to go to seminary when I got out of LSU and God interrupted that and sovereignly and miraculously led us to start this church. We, have, we had no money. We had a handful of people. Didn't know anybody. It was insanity. If Lee Ship, that, at that day, came and sat with me in my office today, I said, you're crazy. This is nuts. You don't do this. Run, boy, as fast as you can from that. And here we are, 38 years later, and I'm here, and I, and I look to you guys because I love you so much, and I, I want you to know this joy. Here we are, 38 years later, I have been all over the world. I have been invited all over the world to preach this gospel. I am invited all over the United States To come preach this gospel. I have gotten to see so many things. I have gotten to experience so many. I could go practically anywhere in the South Pacific, Australia, New Zealand, South America, Argentina, Brazil, Peru, Honduras, Dominican Republic, anywhere in the United States. I could go anywhere in Europe practically. Northern, Southern Ireland, Scotland, Moldova, Europe, Czech Republic, Kosovo, Croatia, Poland. I I could go any of these places, and right now I have a home, I have a car, and I have a family waiting for me there. Not that I have another wife or anything. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. I have that anywhere, anywhere I go, I could do that. I could I could call Peru up right now and say, Gustavo, I need a few days over there and I need to borrow a car. Pastor Lee, you got it. I got my home. I got my car. I got my brothers. I got my sisters. Anywhere I go. This church has reached all over the world. This little church on Alban Lane in Baton Rouge, Louisiana that nobody knows about. What am I telling you? I'm telling you that Jesus didn't lie. He didn't lie. It's true. And I watch the dull life that people live. And I know why it's dull. And I know why it's miserable. But you can't outgive this God. And if you let nothing get in the way of walking with Jesus Christ, then one day you'll become happily married. Maybe you'll have a church. Maybe you'll have a corporation. Maybe you'll have a business. You don't have to be a pastor to have all this. But maybe one day you'll be happily married and you'll look up there and you'll see your son on the drums, your son on the guitar, your daughter leading worship. Happy, fulfilled, serving Jesus with you, loving Jesus with you. For the recompense of the reward, I chose him. When I was seven, when I was nine, when I was 15. And if you've blown it all those years, choose him now. That's what grace is. You don't earn it. This is the gift of God. Step into the grace now, and you will find that you cannot outgive God. And when he's your priority, you become his. Stand with me. I would pray that we would be able to say this morning that God, you are my contentment. I have you have you. I ask you in here just to look at your heart. What kind of giver are you? Whether it's bountiful. Or whether it's sparingly. This is the question. Is your heart Joyful. God has invited you to something better than any investment firm could. Extended to you an opportunity of blessings that your life would not be able to contain. And one day you'll step into heaven on those streets of gold. And not only will you find that everything in the Father's house is yours. But he trusts you. There is a vast amount of wealth that is laid up there for you to take to the nations and to bless the people.